How often have you heard that too much television is bad for you? Well, I guess we could all spend too much time in front of the tube. But what about what comes out of your TV, radio, and internet speakers? That should be our real concern. This is Evidence and Answers with Pat Zukerin. Dr. Zukerin is a prominent speaker, author, and defender of the Christian faith. And at a recent conference in Hawaii, Pat presented key speakers on some of the most thought-provoking questions facing contemporary culture. Today, you'll hear part two of nationally syndicated talk show host and media expert, Kirby Anderson. Kirby not only analyzes fascinating data on modern media, but offers practical advice on discerning the truth in media. And while you're listening, check out evidenceandanswers.org for resources on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. At evidenceandanswers.org, you'll find past shows, Pat's articles and books, and interviews with experts on a huge variety of compelling topics. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Go there today. Now, here's Kirby Anderson with part two of Discerning Truth in Media. When I turn on a television set, when I open up a newspaper, when I listen to a radio program, when I open up a news magazine or whatever it might be, what is the worldview of individuals that are providing the news? Well, the classic study, and there's been a more recent one, but the classic one was done back in the 1980s when I was at Georgetown University. A friend of mine, Robert Lichter at George Washington University with Stanley Rothman, actually interviewed 240 members of the media elite. At that time, it was Time, Newsweek, U.S. News and World Report, ABC, NBC, CBS, the Associated Press, United Press International, the Washington Post, and the New York Times. This is before CNN really got going, before Fox News. Now, there have been new studies on those since then. But looking back at the classical study, one of the things they found is they looked at the people that determined what you see, read, and hear. They found that, first of all, they were very, very liberal. I know that surprises you. No, it even surprised them. At that time, we didn't have so many third-party candidates, and they found that even at times when most of the population was voting for Ronald Reagan over Walter Mondale, both in 1984, but even back in 1980, Ronald Reagan over Jimmy Carter, still 80% of them always voted for the most liberal candidate. In that case, it was the Democratic candidate. Most of the nation was voting for Ronald Reagan in 1984. More than 80% of them were voting for Walter Mondale. So first of all, they were very different than the rest of the population. The second one, even more important, they were very, very secular. 86% of the media elite seldom or never attend religious services. They don't go to church or synagogue. They don't know people that go to church or synagogue. Most of those people located in New York City or in Washington, D.C. As a matter of fact, when they would ask them for their religious affiliation, Catholic, Protestant, Jewish, 50% said, I don't know. They couldn't even come up with a religious affiliation. Tomorrow, the estimates are anywhere from 30 to 40% of Americans will go to church. That's very different than the people that determine the news. Finally, they also found they were humanistic. For example, 90% of them believed in a woman's so-called right to abortion. Now imagine, for example, if you are in a pro-life group and you're trying to get your pro-life message out through the mainstream media. You see the difficulty you might have? When 90% of individuals disagree, maybe passionately disagree with your point of view. And so you can see right immediately that that is the case. There are some more recent studies that have been done that have looked at journalism. And what they have oftentimes found is, is that if journalists were considered a congressional district, it would be the most liberal district in America. 
Um, as somebody who was born in Berkeley, California, who had Ron Dellums as his congressperson for a while, uh, who lives around the district of Nancy Pelosi, that's just a little different than the rest of America. But if journalists were all put in one congressional district, they would be four times as liberal as that particular California district. Or you can go to Massachusetts, look at the district that Barney Frank holds right now. And again, if journalists were actually put into just one congressional district, they would be twice as liberal as that particular district. And so these studies have come out more recently to just document again that these individuals that determine the news oftentimes have a very different perspective. Newer studies also have found very significant differences when you look at, say, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Times, or, of course, Fox News. I won't go into all those in the detail, but those make sense. Let's come back to the issue of television. When you turn on television, what's the worldview there? Well, here's an interesting thing. Most of the people that work in television, interestingly enough, did have some kind of religious background. That's because, especially if you go to Hollywood, Beverly Hills, Burbank, there are a lot of people that are Jewish that are in television. Now, that means that they are Jewish ethnicists in terms of their ethnic background, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're committed to that. They may have gone through a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah, but they're pretty much divorced from it. But they are a little different than other people in the media because of that Jewish background. Some had a Catholic background and others. But again, when Rothman and Lichter did the studies there of the people either in New York City NBC, CBS, ABC, things like that, or those people in Hollywood, Burbank, Beverly Hills, they found again that they were liberal. Here's the real surprise. They found that those people who work in television represent the most secular institution in America. 93% of the people in television seldom or never attend religious services. 45% had no religious affiliation the most secular institution in America. Does it mean that there are no Christians in Hollywood? No, that's not the case. As a matter of fact, there are quite a number of prominent ones. But what has happened is because of the kind of persecution, they tend to work in sets that are at least somewhat religion-friendly, faith-friendly. And so they tended in the past to have worked on TV shows like Home Improvement, more recently, Touched by an Angel, Seventh Heaven, things like that. So in some respects, because there were only a few places where they could work, the other sets tended to be even more secular in terms of their perspective. Does that mean you should never turn on your television set? No. But what it does mean is recognize that the individuals who are determining what you are going to see on television are very different than the people in your family, very different than the people in your church. And again, a wise and discerning person would understand that. Before we open it up for some questions, let's talk about some of the worldviews that we run into in the media. How do I have discernment? Well, the first is to begin to ask yourself, okay, what is the worldview I'm hearing here? I put up a picture here of Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan, years ago, did a PBS special called Cosmos. Maybe some of you have seen it. He starts the series with a statement. The cosmos is all there is ever was and ever will be. Is that a scientific statement? It's a worldview statement, isn't it? Now that was watched not only on television, but later it was produced into VDs, uh, various kind of video things, not DVDs, but video uh, tapes, it's 
been so long since I said videotapes, I had to think about what the word was, videotapes, and distributed to all the public schools. It has been one of the most watched documentaries in the history of public education. So when kids sit down to learn about science, what are they learning? A naturalistic worldview that nature is all that there is. When you turn on television, you watch a PBS special or a NOVA special or a special on discovery, sometimes even in the History Channel. What's the worldview you're getting there? A naturalistic worldview. Does that mean you should never watch them? No, I watch them, but I watch that with what? Discernment. We need to teach discernment to our children and our grandchildren as well. Let's take a different one, hedonism. So I did this, pleasure is the ultimate good. You know, just go around once in life, grab for all the gusto, just do it. Those are the kinds of philosophies. And again, we see those kinds of worldview ideas being presented. One that Pat will talk about after lunch, syncretism, kind of a big word for just the idea that I'll take a little bit of all these different philosophies. All religions are basically the same. I'll create my own kind of religious philosophy. Do we see that at all? I don't know how many of you watch the Oprah Winfrey show, but it's amazing how many best-selling books, oftentimes which present a pantheistic or syncretistic worldview, have become best-seller books because the author, Rhonda Byrne, Eckhart Tolle, uh, Marianne Williamson, whoever it might be, has been able to get a national platform there and all sorts of movies that represent that as well. Pragmatism, whatever works is good. You know, the uh, movie Wall Street, greed is good. Now they're going to do a retake of Wall Street. I'm sure it's going to look a little bit like what actually played itself out. We look at all the corporate scandals and a lot of people believing in pragmatism, that whatever works is good. A couple more real quickly. Existentialism, Jean-Paul Sartre, Albert Camus, that existence precedes essence. Ultimately, there is no meaning in life. Now, if you listen to a lot of new age music, contemporary music, kind of edgy music, uh, you are going to hear those kinds of ideas. There's no meaning to life. Just a dark view of the world. Even more than that, postmodernism. There is no truth. You know, and if you listen to some of this music, uh, we sometimes at Probe Ministries will go down to a place called Deep Ellum. You know, lots of tattoos, lots of body piercing. Uh, we speak at a place called Club Dada. You know, it's just what you imagine. Um, our guys with beards do better than anybody down there. But, you know, we speak, and then oftentimes then one of the alternative bands will start playing the music, and I, I will listen to the lyrics, and it's so dark, so full of despair. But I finally learned how to interact with some of the students. I said, you know, if I listened to this as well, I would be as depressed as you are. But you are half right. You know, if there is no God, this is a world of darkness and despair. But let me tell you the other part of that. There is a God. There is an answer to this question that you're asking in this particular music set. And so I think it's important for us to have discernment and to begin to discern truth in the media. What about some possible objections? Sometimes when I speak on this, I'll have people say, well, yeah, but that's just reality. Well, I would suggest to you that uh, 200,000 acts of violence on television is not reality. What we have to come back to is recognize that we are getting a worldview expressed by those individuals that are going to be acting out of their worldview. Do movie producers have a worldview? Do scriptwriters have a worldview? Do television producers have a worldview? 
Do TV anchors have a worldview? The internet website uh, individuals have a worldview? Do musicians have a worldview? We all have a worldview. We're going to represent that. Hey, it's just killing time. You know, and I live in the real world. There are times when you're just tired. You just want to sit back. and You just want to watch a show. You don't want to sit there and think about it. And I understand that. And there are times when it's just great to unwind, to listen to some music or read a book for pleasure and not get all involved in it. I will go to the movies and just, you know, have fun. I understand that. But the point is, is that what we are seeing is the level of media exposure, especially among our children and grandchildren, is off the charts. It is unprecedented in Western civilization. And it does have an impact. Of course, that brings us to the third comment. Oh, it won't affect me. I hear that all the time. You know, the other day there was a, a TV producer who says, you know, I don't really think our TV programs change behavior. And I wanted to go, sir, 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 can I ask you a question real quickly? It seems to me that you are convinced that the eight minutes of commercials that you sell for basically, what did they spend just on the Tim Tebow ad? $2.7 million for a 30-second commercial. It seems to me that you do believe that the eight minutes of commercials you sell every half hour do affect commercial behavior and consumer behavior. Would you agree with that? Sure. Then how can you, without you know, a smile on your face, say with any kind of seriousness that the other 22 minutes don't affect behavior as well. I mean, if you don't think that the 22 minutes don't affect behavior, then maybe you should give a rebate for the other eight minutes for the commercials. You with me on this? I mean, they're spending $3 million for a commercial where you see a swoosh, and that hopefully is going to make you want to go out and buy Nike. And I guarantee you, people that study consumer behavior know that it works. So you cannot tell me that the eight minutes of commercials affect consumer behavior, but the other 22 minutes have no impact at all. This doesn't work. And I've just shown you a number of studies, and there are many, many more that document exactly what you see, hear, and read affects you. Ah, here's one I run into. No one will know. I can go to a website, but nobody will know. Now I can watch this, nobody will know. You know, and it is possible that you could fool some of the people some of the time. It might be possible that you could even fool all of the people some of the time. I don't know that you could fool all of the people all the time, but even if you could, you wouldn't fool God, right? The Internet is just full of great information, but it, as the information superhighway, has some really dark back alleys, doesn't it? And you'd be real wise for your children and grandchildren to make sure there's a filter on that Internet, Make sure they don't have a TV set in their room where nobody can see it. Make sure they don't have a computer in their room where nobody can see it, because it will have an impact. And finally, hey, it's just entertainment. You know, I'm with you, entertainment. And entertainment is fine. And if you've heard me say that you need to go and burn your television sets and get rid of all your CDs and no longer take a newspaper or anything, you've misheard me. But what I am saying is that we, as believers, need to have some discernment. We need to know how to discern truth in the media. Agree? Well, let's see if we can open up for some questions. While we do, let me just mention a couple of my books are back there as well on Islam, homosexuality, spiritual warfare, also one on money. And um, those are some resources just wanted to make available to you. Of course, Gary has his books out there. Pat has his as well. And we have some left over from the conference last year. Uh, Ron Rhodes, a good friend, has been on the program with me many times. We've got a few of his books out there. And so for a few minutes, what I thought I would do is let you ask a question or make a comment. 
and we will do our best here to try to respond. And if you have a question for one of the other speakers, I'll bring them up here. But if you want to put me on the spot for a few minutes, I'm used to it. And I'm glad to see if I can interact. So who wants to be the first person to ask a question or make a comment? Looks like I've got one right over there. If you're talking about the political party, like you're thinking about the Tea Party or something like that. Yes. Okay. He, uh, he, the two things I caught was that we, they were getting back to the roots of the country, which is the country being based on biblical values, and that America is for Israel. That's the two things. Oh, okay. Well, well then you may be talking about something else. Okay. I was thinking the Tea Party because the Tea Party phenomenon has been a very significant phenomenon, but they really probably will not be a political party. But I think the one you may be talking about is the Constitution Party. Constitution Party was started years ago by Howard Phillips. He ran for the presidency, and more recently you've had uh, Michael Peruka, and last time it was Baldwin. Um, blanked on his name for a minute. Uh, uh, yeah, Chuck Baldwin, thank you. Um, and so those are individuals who are part of what is called the Constitution Party. They really set forth an alternative party to really focus on kind of Christian principles, and uh, they have, of course, not been successful at the national level. But one of the things I've always hoped is if there really were viable third parties that they would start at the grassroots level. And this year I have noticed that there are a number of Constitution Party candidates running for congressional offices. And if they were successful, that might be the case. My concern has always been that we have a two-party system right now. And in a sense, what it basically says is, well, you can either be a Republican or a Democrat or else you can just stay out of the political process. You know, we do have a libertarian party and a reform party, but realistically, they have never been viable. And so what happens is, and say, if you're pro-life um, and you have a pro-choice Republican, they say, well, what are you going to do, vote for the Democrat? And so there's never any push there. I think we would be a lot better off if we had a little bit more of a multi-party system like you have in Italy or Israel. We don't. And the reality anytime soon is, is that the political party system that we have right now, most of the state regulations, election regulations, really reinforce a two-party system. And then you are in some states, as you well know, living here, where one party is so dominant that almost you don't even have a second choice. And that is true in certain states as well. So I think we'd be better off if we had that. But if we're going to ever have something like that, it's going to have to be a true viable party system. And it's going to have a very significant uphill climb simply because so many of the election law rules favor the two-party system and, in a sense, discriminate against third parties that I think it's going to be something where you're going to have to have a long-term commitment to do so. But it's happened before. I mean, after all, recognize that the Whig Party just simply vanished, and they then elected a Republican Party candidate. And in 1860, Abraham Lincoln was the first president from the Republican Party. So it has happened, but it happens very rarely in American history. Yes, this administration is trying to make a move on silence and conservative media. Uh, what's your views on that? Okay, good question, because I didn't get into the FCC fairness doctrine and things like that. But what we had back in 1946 was what was called the FCC fairness doctrine. And the reason we had it back then was that we had what was called spectrum scarcity. In other words, we pretty much only had AM radio at that time. FM radio was just getting going. Television wasn't existing. And so you only had a place for a few particular um, radio stations within that spectrum. And so the argument was is that although we have a First Amendment and anybody could start their own newspaper or whatever, since there is a fundamental limit in the number of stations you could have, 
we will have to actually require regulation of those spectrums and then make sure that you program in terms of the try to be fair so you represent different viewpoints and are involved in the community. Well, of course, now we don't really have spectrum scarcity, do we? Because we have AM, we have FM, we have satellite radio, we have television, broadcast television, we have cable television, we have the internet, we have all sorts of things. And so basically in 1986, Ronald Reagan asked the FCC, and the FCC went along with it, to end the Fairness Doctrine. Now, you do have some individuals. Uh, Nancy Pelosi has expressed interest, Speaker of the House. Uh, there are some things that every once in a while President Obama said that make it sound like he would like to reinstitute the Fairness Doctrine. I've just given you the argument against it, haven't I? Because the argument for the Fairness Doctrine is we had spectrum scarcity, that we didn't have enough outlets for viewpoints. Is that our problem today? Get in front of a cable television set and go ka-choon, 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 which my wife suggests I do every once in a while. Ka-choon, 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 ka-choon. I mean, it takes forever to make your way through all that. So the argument that they are making is never going to work. The Supreme Court has accepted that argument. So what kind of argument could they make? Well, well, we need to program according to community interest, or we just don't like what some of those people are saying. But you see how difficult it is going to be to make a case for something like the Fairness Doctrine. Now, this president doesn't like Fox News, no surprise about that. But given the fact that most of the mainstream media pretty much agrees with him, and a fair number of cable outlets do, I'm surprised that he's worried about one particular network when um, I don't think George Bush uh, had quite as many networks that would agree with him. And even Bill Clinton didn't have as many that agreed with him. Certainly the previous presidents did not as well. So you're going to hear those arguments, but I think I just gave you a very effective tool to fight that off. And that is, it was based upon an assumption of spectrum scarcity. We don't have that today. How about one or two more questions before we go to lunch, and then we'll have an extended one a little bit later. My question is, uh, what can the body of Christ collectively do in order to counter this imbalanced influence of secular media Very good. on the life of our children and family? And the reason why I ask this is because it seems that our approach are ineffective. Well, and it does. And I think, first of all, what I want to do is sensitize that to you. You know, Pastor, let me just use this as a good example. The average television is on more than seven hours a day. The average television. I know that's hard for you to believe. I mean, some of you probably don't even have a TV set. Some of you only have it on occasionally. The only way I guess we get up to that seven hours a day is if you've ever gone out in church of visitation, you go into these homes and the TV's on. It's kind of like this electronic fireplace just glowing in the corner. But, but really, the average television in America is on more than seven hours a day. Multiply that by seven. So basically, the TV in the average American home is on 50 hours a week. Daryl, you get to counter that with what? A 40-minute sermon? A little longer. Yeah, maybe 50-minute sermon. The preachers are a little, he's a little wordy. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you got a whole hour, 50 hours versus one hour, who wins? Think that through for a minute. That is exactly what we're facing just in television. So it seems to me that maybe not from the pulpit, although I would hope it would be said from the pulpit, but certainly in Sunday school classes, we need to challenge the parents to be parents. What a concept. I never thought of that. You know, to set boundaries in the media. And to begin to reevaluate that, there are so many studies that have come out, the most recent one from the Kaiser Family Foundation that just says that the average young person spends enormous amounts of hours in front of a screen. TV screen, movie screen, video screen, computer screen. Think about that for a minute. We've just got to stop that because that is the first answer. 
So first of all, we need to reduce the sheer quantity of media input in our lives. And we as parents, guys, sometimes we're the ones that have the TV on more than the women do, right? Okay, so let's start with the men setting the example. We need to decrease the amount of media input in our lives and in our children's lives and our grandchildren's lives. Have I given you some good arguments for that now? Yes, I have. Now, I have a question. Then we have to evaluate what we do, see, read, see, and hear. That does exempt U USC football and, and the Lakers. <laughs> USC and the LA Lakers. <laughs> see, I've gone from preaching to meddling, haven't I? Here. <laughs> I do By the way, you know that. My <laughs> You know, what was so interesting is that study that was done, you know, by the Annenberg School of Communication, they didn't distinguish between sports programs and general programming. And if you think about it, I love the sports. My son just loves sports like nobody else. He's got uh, season tickets to the Cowboys' new stadium and everything. But, you know, when you watch the sports, the sports aren't bad, but the commercials can turn you into a pillar of salt, right? So the point is, is that even when you're watching good programs, sometimes the commercials can be a problem. So the point I'm making is, is that we as a culture oftentimes, and even in the Christian community, are allowing too much media into our homes. So first of all, decrease the input. Second of all, I think it would be really good to teach this principle of discernment. We have many resources that we think you'll find interesting at evidenceandanswers.org. In fact, Dr. Zucrin has many more topics from Kirby Anderson and other experts at our website. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism at evidenceandanswers.org. Check out the evidence and then decide for yourself at evidenceandanswers.org. And if you can, please partner with us with your tax-deductible gifts. Your contributions and prayers are so appreciated and helps keep this program on the air and growing with good news, good evidence, and good answers concerning today's spiritual questions. Donate now at evidenceandanswers.org. We'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers 